Uh, As was read for us, Mark chapter 5 is where we're at in our study. The scene is a staggering scene that's, that's presented to us. Remember, Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you remember that Jesus was asleep in the stern as a, suddenly a storm then comes over the boat. And, and amazingly, with just mere words, Jesus says, basically, be quiet, be calm. And it all stops. And chapter 5, verse 1 opens with Jesus has now just stepped foot out of the boat. You just imagine, they just barely landed the boat and are stepping out of the boat onto the ground. And it says there that there is a man who has an unclean spirit who has been living in the tombs and he comes running to Jesus. I always start to visualize these things. If I'm one of the disciples in the boat and I see this demon-possessed man running at Jesus, I'm getting scared. Okay, this is not the reception we were expecting here as he comes running right at him. And the text tells us some really interesting pictures about this man. It says there in verse 3, he lived among the tombs. Now don't think of graveyards like we drive by. That's not how you did things back then. Think of caves. Think of stone-walled rocks where tombs would be. He's living among these hills where there were these tombs. And it says, no one could bind him anymore. And I like the word anymore. They've been trying. They've been trying to help this man. They've been trying to bind him. But not even with a chain was that going to work. Verse 4, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. And I want you to see why they're trying to do that. Verse 5, Night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he's crying out and cutting himself with stones. Running around the caves and the mountains, and he's cutting himself. And people have tried to help him. And they're putting him in chains and in shackles. And every time they try to bind him, he shatters them apart and runs back off. And the biggest thing that I want you to see out of this in verse 4 is the very last sentence of verse 4. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one can do anything. There is no help. And I hope that you get a sense of the hopeless situation this man is in. He's living in tombs and running among the hills. He's cutting himself. Everybody who tries to help him can't help him because he breaks the bonds. In fact, it says... They don't even bind him anymore. There's no point. We can't do anything about it. We can't stop him. And now Jesus just steps out of the boat and this man comes running for him. And it tells us there in verse 6, he sees Jesus from afar and ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Running to him, falls down. What are you doing? Don't torment me, I beg you. Why does he start saying that? Notice the next line, verse 7 or verse 8. Because Jesus is saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
Just kind of visualize all that. Jesus steps out of the boat and just starts saying, come out of that man, unclean spirit. He's running and falls down and don't torment me. Crying out with this loud voice and notice the confession, Jesus, son of the most high God. And this now begins a little bit of a discussion. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. That's a little bit of a scary response. There's all kinds of unclean spirits in this man. And so here is the answer. We are Legion. Now, anything in the Roman world, you're talking about thousands. Typically a Legion of 6,000. I don't know if he means that there's necessarily 6,000 in him. But it doesn't mean that there was two or three. There's a reason why he's extremely powerful, why no one can help him, why he can't be bound, why he's cutting himself. He is afflicted by all of these unclean spirits, extremely powerful. But notice what happens next in verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And notice the words, So he gave them permission. This is a staggering display of the power of Jesus. No one can subdue this man. No one can help him. No one can bind him. No one can rescue him. He has all kinds of power. And no sooner does Jesus step out of the boat and here comes this man and all that Jesus has to say is, come out of that man, unclean spirit. And he is screaming, crying out the top of his lungs. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? And just is begging. Don't send us out of the country. Begging, it says again. Send us into the pigs. And Jesus says, it says there about Jesus gives permission. All this powerful, unclean spirit can do is beg. And Jesus just has to say the word. He just gives him permission. He just tells him, okay. So he gave them permission, verse 13, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank of the sea and drowned into the sea. It is amazing what you see with Jesus. In the face of what you will ever read in the New Testament of the strongest unclean spirit or group of unclean spirits you will ever encounter, does Jesus become nervous? Does Jesus break a sweat? Does Jesus turn to the twelve and go, this one's going to be tough, guys. This, this, is, this, is a, this is a strong one here, you know. Jesus is unfazed. Jesus just says, come out of the pan. And they say, well, please send us to the pigs. He goes, okay. <laughs> it's, that's the power that's on display as you see Jesus coming into this, this scene here is nobody can do anything in the face of this evil. But Jesus can. Jesus has the power to rescue this man. 
Jesus has the power to release this man that nobody else has. Now, the point of this recording of Mark is not for us to simply sit back and go, wow, that's a really neat story. How powerful Jesus is almighty. He goes against all evil. Close your Bibles. Let's go. Notice now what Mark wants you to catch. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what had happened. This, this, the, the news is spreading. This man who we could not help, who we could not bind, we've seen him break apart chains, who lived among the caves and in the tombs, who's been cutting himself. He just cast out unclean spirits and people are now coming to him. And verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. That indicates none of those things were true earlier. He wasn't just sitting around, looks like he's running around the hillside, <coughs> pointing out he's clothed, a little added detail for what it wasn't before, and in his right mind. And it says there in verse 15, and they were afraid. Now I want to touch on that for a minute because this is a theme that Mark highlights in this gospel. If you remember in the prior scene, we have Jesus and the the apostles and they are going across the sea and they are fearful because the the, the water's coming into the boat. And Jesus silences the wind and the sea with merely his words. And the response of the disciples is fear. We talked about that last week. No, two weeks ago, whatever that was. Last week? I don't remember. The response of the disciples is fear. But these are going to be followers of Jesus. We talked about the necessity of fear. Fear is supposed to lead to faith. You're supposed to understand who Jesus is. When you come into his presence and you understand who he is, you are now filled with faith because you understand the power that's before you and you are going to follow him. And Mark is setting us up for this again now. This just happened with the disciples in the very last account in chapter 4. And now notice it happens here in verse 15 that they are afraid. Verse 16, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Just imagine this whole crowd, all from the countryside, up from the town, they've all come to this place where Jesus is at, and they're all discussing. You won't believe what He just did. He just said, come out of Him. And all of a sudden, this man was completely fine, and we watched all these 2,000 pigs go hurl themselves into the sea. And they're just talking about it. That really happened? Yeah, I just saw it with my own eyes. It just happened. Verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. What an interesting response. The people do not go, surely this is the Son of God. This is the Son of the Most High, like we heard this legion even cry out Himself. Please stay with us. They see the great power. They come into the presence of Jesus and their response. Please leave. Please leave. Begging Jesus to leave. And I submit to you, that is a common response. 
A very common response. What should have been a time of celebration. Look who has come to our side of the sea. Look, here is the one. And look at the great power and might that He has displayed before us. But their fear does not lead to faith. Instead, their fear leads to a response of begging Jesus to please leave. And now I want you to think about that for a minute and consider what would you expect Jesus' response to be to that? I think as I read this, I think, well, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to teach him a sermon on why are you so hard hearted or he's going to do another miracle. If that miracle wasn't good enough, let me show you another miracle. Let me prove to you who I am. But what I want you to notice, verse 18, as he was getting into the boat. He hasn't hardly got there. He, he, he just stepped out of the boat. This unclean spirit of this man comes rushing at him, falls down, crying out. Jesus says, get out of him. Can we go to the pig? Okay, you can go to the pig. You can go kill yourself in the pig. That's fine, whatever. Knock yourself out. Gives them permission. Off they go. Crowds start coming. They're taught, discussing what just happened. They see the man clothed in his right hand. And they walk up to Jesus and please visualize it. Just standing there before him and just telling him, would you please go? We'd prefer you to leave us alone. We prefer you to leave. And what Jesus does is he starts getting back in the boat. He doesn't fight them. He doesn't resist them. He just gets back in the boat. It is a stunning picture, but it is a picture that God has displayed over and over again in the scriptures. Is that God is willing to leave you to your own condemned life. If you tell God, I don't want you in my life, he's not going to make you. If you tell God, please leave. He'll leave. That's what's so powerful about how the Apostle Paul said that in Romans 1 verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were hardened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now watch. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In fact, when you read Romans 1, there is a phrase that is highlighted in verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. In that whole section, God gave them up. If you don't want Jesus, you don't have to have him. And as I studied that, I thought, that is awfully terrifying. It is an absolutely terrifying thing 
to think that the Lord can come to you in your life and in this region as you see in this scene. The one who is the Son of God who's come to rescue, who's come to heal, who has rescued this man from a powerful evil spirit. And your response is, I don't want any part of that. I like my life the way it was. I don't want you to invade my life. I don't want you to interfere. I don't want you to be a part of it. Please leave. Please go. And that God will honor that request. That God will say, you don't want me in your life, okay? So be it. To see Jesus just start getting back into the boat should be something that is absolutely frightening to us when we would make a similar decision before God, when we are telling Him, we do not want Him in our life. We do not want Him to intervene. We do not want His influence. We do not want Him changing us. I like my life the way it is. Things are good the way they are. I have my life. I have my job. I have my family. I have my wealth. I have all these things that I like things the way they are. Just leave me alone. Don't make me change. Because that's what the presence of God does. It forces transformation. As we saw in the last lesson, fears to lead to faith. When you come into the presence of God and you appreciate who He is, it immediately must put you on your knees and say to the Lord, now I need to change, what must I do? And a lot of the times we don't want to do that. We want to say to Jesus, please leave. Let me, let me be. I got my schedule, I got my ways, I got my sins, I got my hidden things, I'm doing things how I want, just leave me be. And to understand that Jesus will accept that. I've made that statement to you before that the idea of eternal punishment and hell is not that God is sending human beings there. It's that people are saying, God, please leave us. I don't want you in my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I want my own way and my own schedule and my own life. Please leave. And God's just submitting to that request and saying, okay, have eternity without me. Because that's what it's all about. Eternal life is about being in the presence of God always. What is eternal punishment? Where God is not. I always remark at that when bad things happen all around us in this world. People will say, where is God in all of that? We have proof God's at work. And you think this world is bad. Imagine a place where God is absolutely not. That's what you're saying to Jesus. That's what these people are saying to Jesus. We don't want you. Please leave. But notice verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. How interesting. The man who's been healed now, we have a rare response. And he starts begging to follow Jesus, and he did not permit him. Now we read them and go, why wouldn't you let him go with you? You know, Here's all these guys, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're saying, please leave. 
But I submit to you the language there when it says there in verse 18 that he begged him that he might be with him is the same language that you read earlier in Mark when he called his twelve and they were with him. And it doesn't appear that this man is saying, hey, I want to ride and go with you and follow you around, but he wants to be one of the twelve. Which would logically then be no. But notice what Jesus does say. Verse 19, he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Here's what I want you to do is what Jesus says. I want you to go back into the town. I want you to just stay here where you are. You don't need to come with me to the other side. Just stay here right where you are. And all I want you to do is tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. Can you go and do that? And he goes, all right. And it's great. Verse 20. He goes away and he starts telling all the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everybody marveled. I want to ask you a question this morning. Can we do that? Can we simply stay where we are and tell people about how much God has done for us and how He's had mercy on us? Sometimes our vision of evangelism is often we need these big programs and I need the special paperwork and you've got to tell me how to do it and let me give you all these booklets and let me give you a workshop training seminar and you know until you've gone through my 14,000 courses you can't be a good teacher. Nonsense. Can you tell people about what the Lord has done for you and how He has shown mercy on you? That's all Jesus asks here, this man. You want to follow me? Wonderful. Go tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. Go tell people the mercy that He has shown you. Go tell them about what God has accomplished in your life. We have a very simple mission. To tell our friends, to tell the people that we know how much the Lord has done for us. To tell people the mercy that He has shown us in our lives. Just think about the number of friends that you have. You don't have to go to Russia and Romania and Thailand and all these places where you need to go preach the gospel and I'm glad people go preach it. But that may not be your cup of tea. I'll raise my hand. Not mine either. But that isn't what he's called everybody to have to do. He just tells the man, stay right here where you are and just tell them about what the Lord has done. That's all you need to do. Go tell them about the mercy that the Lord has shown you in your life. What a wonderful thing that we can do, that we can take advantage of, of a very simple picture. What we are seeing Jesus do as we observed in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is showing who He is and what the Kingdom of God is all about. That He has come to restore people. And this is one of the biggest, greatest displays of the restoration mission that Jesus is accomplishing. Here we are seeing victory in Jesus and its ultimate expression up to this point in the story. 
Because here we are, we're following the life of Jesus, and here is this individual, and the power in him is so great, and no one can do anything, no one can restrain him, no one can bind him, and no one can help him except one person. That's the image that Mark is leaving us. That there is a whole world of evil. There's a whole world of the lost. And there's only one person who can do anything about that. We can talk about all kinds of things that we get excited about, but the thing that we need to tell people about is what the Lord has done for us and the mercy that He's shown us in our lives. That's the message that people need to hear, that Jesus has the power and the ability to rescue That Jesus has the power and the ability to save and for us to desire to tell people that only Jesus is the answer. We are living in such a climate of anger and hostility. The message we need to be telling people anytime that we can is not, you know, our one-sided view of politics or whatever we think is our weird solution, but that the answer to all of these issues is Jesus. That people would submit their lives to Jesus, to see the power of Jesus and submit to Him. The problem is we have far too many people who are saying, leave me alone. I don't want Him in my life. Leave me alone. Send him away. I don't want his influence. I don't want his impact. I don't want his transformation. And friends, I want us to hear the warning that we would make sure that we are not ones who choose that as well. That we have two choices that lie before us. That Jesus has come to rescue. And what we can do before him is tell him, please go away. Or we can go to Him and say, please let me follow. And let me tell people about how You've changed my life. How You've shown mercy. And all the good that You've done for me. There's going to be a day that we're all going to be held accountable. will not be forever that we can tell the Lord, go away. There's going to be a time where all of us must come before Jesus. And we'll be held in account for if we chose to follow Him or if we chose for Him to be out of our lives altogether. There's such a warning to us. We live in a time and a culture, a culture that is pushing upon us to push the Lord out. You don't need to be loving Jesus so much. You don't need to be so fanatical. This whole transformation thing, you don't need that. You know, just show up to church every once in a while. You know, that's that's good enough. I mean, we don't need to get crazy about Jesus or anything. We don't need to love Him or something like that. We don't want to go that far. We have a world that's really pushing on us right now. 
And I just want us to see that it is such an easy decision. Like you see these people in the face of an amazing miracle to tell Jesus, please leave. Please don't do that to your God. Please, when you tomorrow and you get out there and you're at work or you're doing the various things at home and life and whatever, let your life reflect. You're not telling the Lord, get out of my life. I'll see you next Sunday. Leave me alone. It's that you have a life that is reflecting how much mercy the Lord has shown you. Tonight, Casey's going to talk about mercy. And it's going to be an important two-parter of how we can be the merciful people that God's called us to be. Because we see the mercy of God. Don't tell the Lord no. Follow Him with all of your heart and serve Him today. If you're ready to do that, will you turn away from your sins? Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and tell Jesus you want Him in your life today. Allow Him to change your life. Allow Him to put off that old self and that old way of thinking and old way of living and follow Him faithfully. Think in your life today, are there things that I am doing in my life that is effectively saying to Jesus, go away. I'm not interested. I have this part of my life right here that you're not going to touch. I'm going to keep this one. I'm not making these changes here. And I just beg, let us not do that. Be willing to change. Give your whole life to Jesus. Follow Him and serve Him. And tell others what the Lord has done for you. Won't you come while we stand?